This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, it seems the Wuhan coronavirus jumped from illegal wildlife on sale in the Wuhan market. And now every morning, we wake up to the new numbers telling us how the virus is spreading. And this despite unprecedented measures in China and elsewhere to contain it. Today, we look at the origins in circumstances not very different from viruses we have seen before that have jumped the wildlife-human species barrier, so to speak. Today, we have on the line Dr. Peter Dajak and Justin Gosling. Dr. Dajak is president of EcoHealth Alliance, and I would urge all of you to take a look at its website. I'm tempted to say he needs no introduction, but I must at least mention that his research has been instrumental in identifying and predicting the origins and impact of a string of emerging diseases and viruses. And on the line from Oslo, I believe, is Justin Gosling. Mr. Gosling is a law enforcement and criminal justice specialist and director of Wild Crime, a UK-based nonprofit that supports national agencies in tackling wildlife crime. Take a look at that website as well. He has spent the last 15 years working on counter wildlife trafficking across the globe with experience in Southeast and East Asia. Gentlemen, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated, especially given the importance of the issues here. So Dr. Tajak, the issue of zoonotic disease, diseases crossing from animal species to humans has been a major concern in the scientific and public health communities but it's not really top of mind in the general public. Do you think it will be different this time around? Do you think this issue will get it the attention it deserves across the board? Well, I really hope so, actually. I mean, we seem to, um, every time a new disease is emerging, we all seem to say, wow, that disease came from nowhere. We didn't expect it. Yet, to those of us working on what drives this, it's absolutely predictable. We're going to see more and more of these as we do more things to the environment around the world, as more people are on the planet and more people are doing things like hunting and eating wildlife, these are high-risk activities. And I think we really need to get to the underlying causes of this. So now we hear that China has imposed a temporary ban on wildlife in markets. Uh, Justin, this has happened before, this kind of temporary ban, after SARS, for instance. But bans are useless without enforcement. And China is the focus now of this outbreak, but other countries could be next. What do you, what are your expectations of this? Absolutely. We've seen bans before for these kind of diseases. Um, then they've um, been relaxed again. So we've gone back to business as usual and, and look what happens. So many people are welcoming this uh, temporary ban and asking for it to be made permanent. But one of the things that we haven't really focused on is, is how that ban is going to be forced. Now, the language that was used by the Chinese government um, is quite robust in, in the sound of it, but we need to see tangible enforcement. And one of the reasons we have this problem um, with this particular disease is a lack of enforcement against the illegal wildlife trade, not just in China, but globally. It's, it's a woefully inadequate response to, to the illegal wildlife trade. So unless we have enforcement of that ban, it's likely to be largely ineffective. We should give some credit where it is due. I mean, China does crack down on international, on illegal wildlife trade. We've had seizures and some prosecutions, probably not enough. It, it, it is a subject, it is an issue which is huge and wide in scope and scale. Uh, how do you rate China's uh, capacity to do this, Justin? There's, there's no issues with their capacity. If they want to take on illegal wildlife trade, they can. And you're absolutely right that, that China um, 
used to be the bad guy in this trade globally. But recently, in recent years, uh, China's shown that it can crack down on illegal wildlife trade. It's taken action against uh, the illegal trade in rhino horn. It's, it's stopped its uh, domestic ivory markets uh, and has cracked down on ivory syndicates. Um, but another aspect to this is, is that it's not just China that has to take action. This problem is not only isolated to China. Although we're seeing a lot of focus on China now, quite rightly, because it seems to be the epicenter of this disease, there are wildlife markets all over Southeast Asia and all over other parts of the world as well. So we need to see a global response um, to this issue. We need to see wildlife crime taken seriously. There needs to be effective legislation and then effective enforcement as well. Um, and I'm concerned that unless this is a comprehensive and holistic response, then again, it might be ineffective and not actually um, address the problem we're trying to, to deal with. Dr. Dajak, from what we have seen so far in the China's response to begin with, uh, it seems that the virus got out before the response geared up, even though the response has been faster, apparently, than it was in the case of SARS. What are you seeing from the global spread of this virus? What is your uh, takeaway from it? Well, first of all, the world's changed dramatically since the emergence of SARS in 2003. I mean, we visited the wildlife markets after SARS. Um, there was a ban on wildlife at the time, but apparently you could buy it um, after hours. And there were many other markets around China still selling wildlife. And the, the changes are around things like travel and trade. China's grown um, substantially as an economic powerhouse globally. And people are traveling to new places, they're traveling at an exponentially increasing rate. So what we've seen with this virus is spread extremely quickly out of China. Um, SARS took about two or three months to get out of China through Hong Kong and then to the rest of the world. This virus took two to three weeks. That's a change in our planet. Now, China's done an incredible job of dealing with an outbreak much better than last time. Um, you know, to, to isolate the virus, identify it and, and transparently open up the information and give out the full genome, the full genetic sequence of the virus within two weeks of finding the first case is incredible. And, it's, and we should be applauding them for that. But the problem is the world moves at a much quicker pace now and the virus is already out. Right, right. And, and uh, Justin, could I bring you back on this? Uh, when we had a chat some time ago, you were talking about the global exotic pet trade as well. Is that a concern? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, almost all of the focus on on uh, the the Wuhan outbreak has been on the market for exotic meat um, for, for for human consumption. But there is a, a global um, exotic pet trade, um, and that is not only restricted to China or, or, or Southeast Asia. Um, th that trade takes place all over the world. Europe is a huge market for exotic pet trade, um, as are the, the Americas. Um, the Middle East is, is a, um, a, a strong um, a area for demanding um, pets from uh, big cats from East uh, Africa. So the exotic pet trade is huge. Now, of course, most of that is regulated and completely legal. Um, but a great deal of it isn't. Um, and it's very difficult to monitor for the enforcement agencies to monitor. And that's because so much of the exotic pet trade is taking place online. It's taking place through websites like Facebook, um, eBay, 
uh, WeChat, Baidu, um, all sorts of forums and social media areas are um, thriving with people illegally trading exotic pets. And so there's a tendency, and certainly if we've looked in the media, we're seeing all the focus on China and all the focus on these um, the, the, the food markets, but far less attention on the exotic pet trade, which is global, which I, I would be interested in Peter's view on this as to whether it has the same kind of risk as, as uh, the markets in, in China that we've been talking about. Dr. Dajak, this is very interesting. What is your assessment of that aspect, the global exotic pet trade, the illegal global exotic pet, tra uh, pet trade? Because legally it would be going through quarantine, I suppose. No such, well, no such regulations apply to the markets. Even the legal trade, from a health point of view, from a disease spread point of view, even the legal trade in exotic animals is a huge risk. So we saw that, for instance, in the US with monkeypox, which is an African virus originates in rodents, it causes a pretty devastating disease in people, similar to smallpox, not quite as lethal. And it emerged in the US through the trade in rodents, so giant pouched rats, which was a completely legal pet trade. Um, the problem is, you know, there, there's a limit to what um, agencies can do, port authorities can do when they're bringing in, uh, you know, over um, hundreds of millions of animals every year. I mean, we've tracked this trade from a health point of view for the last 15 years or longer. We just released actually two weeks ago all of our data, um, which we got through Freedom of Information Act requests from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on every single animal brought into the U.S. in the past 15 plus years. The biggest database ever. Um, and it's incredible. It includes all of the um, usual suspects, you know, the reptiles and birds that we keep as pets. It includes some incredible um uh, volumes of trade in fish. And when you bring them in, you're bringing water from foreign countries into a country and then potentially releasing that. We think that the um, pandemic disease that's wiped out dozens of species of frogs globally, mycosis, a fungal disease, was spread through the pet trade. And we've seen other ones spread through the pet trade too. Um, I think that we need to clamp down on illegal trade obviously that's absolutely correct we need to monitor it we need tighter laws and tighter governance um, but even the legal trade needs to take disease seriously it is a significant threat uh, what are your expectations of china's temporary ban on illegal wildlife in markets well first of all we're absolutely delighted that china's put a temporary ban on wildlife in markets however that's exactly what happened in the sars outbreak and um, you know we've tracked the trade in wildlife in southern China since SARS. Our goal was to go to the wildlife markets where SARS emerged and to trace the trade in wildlife to see where the virus came from. And what we found after SARS was the wildlife trade was open again. Um, China had loosened the, um, the regulations, but a lot of wildlife just weren't there in markets. And we saw a shift in the way people were trading wildlife. Hunters were supplying to middlemen who were then supplying directly to restaurants. So I would call in perhaps on Tuesday and say, I'm bringing some uh, business friends over for dinner on Friday. Can you supply me with some crocodile meat, some bats, some civets? It's a special meal with great cultural significance. And then the restaurant owner would get in touch with middlemen who would supply them live animals butchered on site. So the trade is still there. It's harder to track and people are more wary in talking about it. China has tried its best, I think, to, or it's tried a lot to, to deal with this, but 
what we're dealing with in China and in Southeast Asia and throughout the world, the thousands of years of cultural significance to um, the food animals that are eaten from wildlife. And I think breaking that is going to be harder than just simple banning. We need education programs about the health risks. We need to use the health impact of wildlife trade to try and put people off eating and trading in animals. We've started to do that. Um, we've surveyed people in China and found that older generations are the ones that eat wildlife. The younger generations are less interested. We should be using that to push this agenda and to help people across the world realize that this is unhealthy for them and unhealthy for our planet. Yes, this is, it could be a watershed moment, I hope. One hopes it is. Uh, uh, Justin, very quickly, you've been on, you've been like Dr. Dajak, you've been in the field out there and you've been on in the border markets. What are the vulnerabilities of mainland Southeast Asia in this regard? Very quickly, how, what would you say? highly vulnerable. This is not an issue that's that's only restricted to, to China. There are unregulated um, entire areas in neighboring countries such as um, uh, Myanmar, for example, is a classic example because there's an area there called Mong La um, where this kind of trade um, of, of meat and animal, animal products goes on completely unregulated and almost unenforceable. Um, I, I think the, the, the key thing for me is is that we should be careful not to see this as a problem only restricted to China, that it's affecting or the risk is there in other Southeast Asian countries. But as we've talked about with the um, exotic pet trade, it's a global problem. We really need to see um, an international response to this, not, not just stopping um, travelers coming back from that region, but looking at our own national laws, our own national uh, efforts to combat on uh, illegal wildlife trade to make sure enforcement is robust. Um, so far, we've only looked at illegal wildlife trade mostly from the point of view of the threat for conservation, the issues relating to animal welfare and to some degree um, human development. Uh, now, um, this isn't news, you know, we've, we've also known about zoonotic diseases for, for decades. Um, now we have a chance to do something really robust and crack down on this illegal wildlife trade and unregulated wildlife trade across the globe. Right. Justin Gosling, Dr. Peter Dajak, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. I know it's a very busy period for both of you. Thank My you. My pleasure. This is a historic opportunity for governments around the world to finally crack down on the illegal wildlife trade and legal and illegal exotic pet trade. The Wuhan virus is a gigantic wake-up call. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh.